Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Good morning to New Haven Mayor Tony Harp. Those headphones working okay? I think so. Yeah. You can hear? I can. I can. Good. Okay. We got a lot to talk about today with Mayor Harp on her regular Mayor Monday checkup about what she and we are up to in New Haven. You can join the conversation by posting a question to our New Haven Independent Facebook Live page. That's right. The show is on Facebook Live. We see the questions there. You can also do what Bob does, which is call us at 203-8727-ELM, 203-8727-356. Today's program is made possible in part thanks to support from Birch and Moses PC from Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. Thanks, Gateway. Thanks, Bertram. And thanks, Mayor Harp. So nice to see you in the, uh, in the studio here. Well, it's great to be here. How are you this morning, Good. Paul? You know, I'm so grateful that every week, and you are busy, that you take your time out to come to Mayor Monday and talk to the public, give us a fill-in. I think that's great public service you do. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. Thanks for doing it. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot in this hour about the Board of Education, but I really want to start. We haven't had you on the air since the election. I want to congratulate you. You had 73% of the vote in a three-way race. Where, um, to be fair, you had basically everything not nice thrown at you. Yeah. A chance for everybody who hasn't liked any decision you've ever not made. Got a real forum. Everyone <laughs> got a chance to say, anyone who thinks you're not doing a good job for whatever reason, got to say it and you killed it. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know if I killed it or not, but I, I certainly got to hear it. <laughs> no, what I mean is... Se- se- <laughs> is not shabby. No, it's good. I I just want to thank the people of New Haven for supporting my administration and the work that we're doing on on their behalf, really. So um, it's thrilling to be able to start another two years in January. So you got finally got a break after um, the election because you know an election year. It's busy being mayor anyway. You work I think about six and a half days a week, if I'm not mistaken, going to stuff. And now that's it gets very intensified in election year. Everyone looking over their shoulder. Bigger, smaller issues become big issues. You got a break afterwards. You took a few days off. Did Did you have time to reflect about what you felt about the election? Was some distance from it, or how you're feeling about your next term specifically? You know what I really wanted to do. I wanted to just decompress. I didn't want to think about uh, the election. I didn't want to think about being mayor. I wanted to. Uh, make origami. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you make? what'd you make? I made a star okay. <laughs> and a scarf. Uh, so oh, like you know. you could, origami does not do with the scarf, right? No, no, it's a different thing. So I so made two s- different things. Do you knit a scarf? Uh, no, the scarf was a silk scarf, and I painted it. Oh, very nice. Fun, yeah. <laughs> what kind of? What'd you paint it? Um, I just painted a lot of different little uh, graphic designs on it. So oh, I'd it was, love to see that sometime. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Well, part of that, you know, you talk about decompression. And for some people like me, it's going home and taking a shower and then think what everyone was yelling about all day. You know, after you <laughs> stop thinking about it for a little while, this is a bigger process because it was a long election campaign. When you came out of that period, what were your thoughts when you look back at this campaign and when you look forward to your next term? Well, you know, I, I've always believed that campaigns are really an, a very important time for people to engage with people who want to lead them. And so I thought that this campaign was that it was an opportunity for people to make suggestions, ask questions, um, to let me know when they were unhappy about some of the decisions that I made and, and, uh, and to give me some time to, to reflect on that. Um, it was a particularly tough campaign though, because it was really far more, Personal it was a than, very personal campaign. Than other campaigns have been. Um, other campaigns have been a little bit more about policy. 
And, you know, one of the things that that I had to face was that, you know, you when you're a mayor, you have to make decisions. And that they don't always work out well for everybody. You know, that sometimes they're winners and losers. And, and, um, and sometimes there's honest disagreement. And, 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 and not everyone's going to agree on it. There are, you know, one of the things I've learned in public life, there are at least um, three ways to see things, but oftentimes five ways and to you see things. And you've got to choose one. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't argue that this is bad. When people are not happy with it and they have a different point of view, when you're not having an election, you really can't tell. You can't take a, a vote really, you know, 70% agree with this, 30%. When we do that with true vote, that's not really scientific. And that I think it's okay that a small group gets to be heard disproportionately when they have a different point of view. I remember talking about that with Ben Delito, the mayor. He'd say, you know, how come you got 30 members of board orders? How come everything I do something, you're always quoting Chuck Allen and John Einhorn, the only two people on the board who don't agree with me. I say because they give a different perspective. You know, I'm not going to have 28 people just repeating what you say. Right. And then when election comes every two years, we find out how the city's feeling about it. And some people say there was a low turnout, but part of the reason there was a low turnout was because there was not an opposition candidacy that got enough people excited about an alternative. And, you know, John DeStefano used to talk about this when he was the mayor. We have two-year terms for mayor. So it's not like every two years people feel like the city's going in the wrong direction. And in this case, you know, taxes haven't gone up, crime has gone down. And he'd say, you know, every, he'd say every once in a while you have a defining election. So he had a very competitive set of elections in, in um, 99 and 2001, and they grew out of a bunch of corruption scandals that forced him to change how he did business and some of the positions he took. And then around 2005, I mean, or, I'm sorry, around 2011 and 2013, he felt people were getting a little tired of him after 20 years. And there was also a new kind of union movement that was taking over. They wanted more control and a weaker executive branch. And that a lot of the in-between years, there was sort of this default vote of 30%, if anyone just ran. But that it's not every two years that the city feels they need to change course or talk about changing course. And this one, you had even less. I mean, you got 73% of the vote. And you had two people against you, one of whom who, got, who split the anti-HARP vote wasn't really an anti-HARP vote. She was saying... Like, I have the secret suspicion that if you weren't running, you would have considered voting for her, which was that to have a place on the ballot for the Working Families Party. So maybe after all this, it was a mandate election as oh. opposed to a shift course election. Well, I don't think it was a shift course, but I do think that um, I do think that people are happy with the fact that we haven't raised taxes and, and that we've um, made some real headway on crime and... Uh, I, I'm really proud of that, and I think that the people of New Haven are proud of that as well. And what might be interesting, you might face a tougher re-election when it's not as personal. I think there so. There might be like a genuine feeling in the city that we just don't agree with what you did with education or schools or ta how you're handling what's going to be a very tough financial picture. Right. It's just kind of interesting how elections work. I, I think it is, and there are, as I said before, there are five or six different ways to, to solve a problem. And so uh, people are not always going to necessarily agree with one another about how you do that. Did you conclude that you should do something differently based on this election? Did you hear an issue where you said, oh, that was kind of a good idea I should do, or maybe I should revisit that? You know, one of the things that I, I and I, it didn't really come up in the election, but I'm, I'm beginning to think that, um, that we really need to have more input from the business community and what it is that we do and, so one of the things that I would I would like to do because I I still think that we've got to work on jobs for New Haven residents, but we've got to engage the business community more than we've been able to, 
and that's that's an idea that has been rolling around um that i've been thinking about for a while who is the business community well you know i think that we've got a it used to be an easy question in the past we had these huge employers we still have yale and yale and haven we used to have like all these factories we had the people basically go to the q club at noon on a weekday or one you'd see the business community we have more um small and medium-sized businesses and oftentimes they're uh, law firms and they're um, other kinds of, 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 of firms that provide, provide services that are part of the business community now, as well as Yale and Yale New Haven Hospital and some of their suppliers. So I was so interested in the article Marquisha Ricks wrote last week about all these co-working spaces starting up. Like one of them was this realtor, the Feldman brothers, who I don't know if they're going to sell if their properties are not in town because they saw how much Randy Salvatore made on his flip. And he's been <laughs> buying all this stuff to make apartments. And mm-hmm. now they want to start, starting in New Haven, a chain of co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. And co-working is where you, you kind of, like they say, they come to New Haven and do business. They didn't have an office, but they would love to pay for a place where they get a desk and environment with other people. And, and if you're from here, that's how C-Click Fix started, you know, in these areas mm-hmm. where you're around a bunch of other people at the desk. And a lot of these starting in town, two African-American women have done with an African-American focus. We started one on Willow Street. We had the Grove originally in Baybow Studios. We got a lot of studios now. That's actually the name, a lot of studios in, mm-hmm. in Westville. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a couple more on the, the city trying to do one with Incubator Kitchens. And uh, I'm wondering whether, and you're doing a lot, and you have the Brazilian startups where they have their joint startup. Where you, mm-hmm. you, you do the ribbons on these. It's kind of amorphous, I think, who the business community is. And I think that's an interesting challenge you're taking on. How do you tap in when it's not as easy as just walking into the Quinnipiac Club at noon and saying, okay, what do you guys want me to do? Yeah, right. Well, and the interesting thing is that the have no banks anymore. Chamber of Commerce has also seen that and is is beginning to sort of like um, reach out into communities that they typically don't reach out into. So, so it's going to be interesting, and I'd like for us all to work together because I I think that we we have the city that can grow the state. I agree with that. And, um, and that we've got to do everything that we can to... But we're not getting any help from the state. And we're not getting any help, so that means that we've got to work even harder. Could be a blessing, Mayor Harper. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, I mean that in all seriousness. Well, every place they invest in seems to, to sort of go kaput, and right? And the big investment they made in us, we just lost them. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah. Not, not that it was paying attention to the state, but you know... Well, no, they, they, they noticed that. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, Mayor Harp, what are some other top priorities for your next term? Well, you know, I think that we've still got to work on on jobs for New Haven residents. Um, the work that we're doing on on building the um, infrastructure of our city around collaboration of by our city, I mean our city departments. We're going to continue to move through you neighborhoods. You talk about neighborhood sweeps where you get everybody from the fire department, building department, right. LCI, health department. They all go together to identify the problems, get neighbors part of that, and try to hit them with one big swoop that also gets people in a pattern of letting you know about slumlords and trees that are blocking right. lights and that kind of stuff. So we're going to continue that. We're going to go um, around the city and and hit the hot spots first, but ultimately every single neighborhood. The other thing that we're doing is um, using that as a basis to build um, uh, um, information technology system that will allow the people who work in the city to work together virtually, even if they're not um, there during a sweep um, in Are real time. Are you talking time. about that app you developed, City, um, City Stat? City Stat, yep. And so we're, we're, we're still working on that, and we're going to make it available to everyone. Hopefully that will make us more efficient as a city. Um, 
you know, I still feel very strongly that education is really important, and it's my goal that we move um, uh, our kids up to um, grade level in every single subject. Uh, what does it mean to move our kids? Like what percentage? You're not going to have a hundred percent. Well, no, but you know, you want you want to to at least get seventy five, eighty percent of kids. You're going to have twenty five percent of kids who are probably just can't get to grade level. Uh, there are are developmental reasons that. Where that, are we now on that seventy five to eighty? Uh, you know, in some some areas, we're down in the 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 forties and the fifties, and other areas even lower than that. So we've got a lot of work to do. Um, so to review, so in two years from now, if we look to say um, what Mayor Harp set out to do in this term, and we always have to remember there are unpredictable challenges that come in the midst of a term right. on any mayor. And you got to deal with that. So that's got to be factored in when you say how did you last couple of years. But in terms of you starting out, you want to see more jobs for New Haven residents, more coordination with the business community on that end. Gooley's neighborhood sweeps citywide to... Um, to uh, to, to more permanently make the neighborhood safer and cleaner. You want to have an IT system that closer coordinates city departments and you want to move uh, 75 to 80% up to grade level. Yeah. I would argue... That's going to be hard. That's going to be the hardest one, but yes, that's what I would like. That's our goal. And then I would argue um, that one way the city might look different in two years and that we might be able to say, here's something the Harp administration really played an active role on, is what Dixwell and the Harville look not just with these sweeps, so you got the proposal you're supporting for the new artist um, center mm-hmm. on Henry Street. Right. Which really could change that place. You have the proposal for 385 apartments on empty factory land right at the border of Dixwell, New Hallville. Right. Across from that on the other side, on the Dixwell side, you're talking about a new elderly housing tower. And I guess you're also working on this new CONCAT project at the old Dixwell Plaza with the Seatown. Mm-hmm. Those are four projects that can dramatically change Dixwell and the edge of New Hallville. And the queue, right? So. That's right, the queue. That's five. <laughs> yeah. So would it be fair to say, you gave me your list, would it be fair to add on that list um, the, uh, the, um, the, the what Dixwell and New Hallville, especially Dixwell, is going to look like in sure. two years? A renaissance of uh, the Dixwell and New Hallville area. Dixwell yeah. New Hallville renaissance. All right. <laughs> and you're hearing about that on Mayor Monday on uh, WNHH's Dateline New Haven. 103.5 FM live stream at newhavenindependent.org. Mayor Harp is in the house. People are eager to ask you questions. Let's get to him. Bob, you're on with Mayor Harp. How are you? And thanks for waiting 15 minutes while we did the uh, election in review. Oh, that's that's fine, Paul. And hello, Mayor. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing better. You sound um, good. I was, I was wondering if you stayed up to watch Diana Ross's uh, performance last night on the American Music Awards. I really didn't. I I haven't been watching television Babs lately. Rose, well, Babs Rose Ivy this morning was praising it to the moon and said that Diana Ross, I guess, is 78 years old, according to Babs, who knows uh-huh. more about this than I do, does not have to do a lot of work to be looking really good at 78. Well, God bless her. <laughs> Well, I want if, to be if, like if, that. If, if there's any <laughs> chance in a million Earths, could you try to get her to come to New Haven in the summer? Oh, that would be great. We'll have to talk to the people Does she still at Market perform, New Haven. Though, really? Does she really do concerts still at 78? I don't know, but you know, if maybe I she believe just... she does. I believe she did one a few years ago up at the casino. You know, I think "Love Child" had to be one of the most meaningful pop songs of mm-hmm. her generation. When you took someone who had perfected the kind of pop formula, crossover formula. Mm-hmm. 
and and she said she talked about something that was so real in a song and difficult mm-hmm. to talk about and told it so well i, I could just i knew because i didn't i'm not the person in that song i'm wondering what that meant to people in that song in the country to have that be a hit yeah and sung that way i thought it was great but, anyhow, it, yeah. but anyhow mayor i had it's a couple song. of questions for you the first one is <laughs> Oh, you already movie. asked a question, Bob. <laughs> That's right. So what's what's now? What's the question well, after the well, Diana Ross question? I could ask probably the whole hour of questions, but I'm only going to ask a couple. Uh, the first one I was reading this weekend about uh, you getting a raise. Oh, that one. Uh huh. Well, I, and, I I I can and, only get a raise if the board. And you think you deserve it? I, I don't know. Uh, I saw you <laughs> lagging behind other mayors and even the police chief and the health department guy. And then uh, to follow up on that, do you believe the board of uh, should the board of alders should get one? I I said to Thanks the board. Thanks for that of, question, Bob. Thank you, Bob. I said to the board of well, alders. I'm not done yet. So I, I said to the board of that alders that, that we should. The board of alders should get one, and that the the mayor's off the mayor should get one, and um, you know they were not so keen on that, but uh, at the time and. Um, I'm hoping they'll change their mind. You know, they haven't had a raise either. For I think years. one of the challenges don't they get three thousand a year? Uh, I think they get two thousand. So that's not real money. No. And and uh, and I, I mean, it is fair that it's kind of reimbursing for a lot of stuff that comes out of their pocket. It, you know, it's it, minimum wage would be like I think a tr- uh, they'd have to quadruple their pay. But I think part of the question is, oops, let me uh, get that. Part of the. Um, Sorry about that, folks. That's just the second call that's coming in, and Harry's going to uh, help do that. Part of the problem for Alders is that to get them to a, a place where it would really be pay would be so much. Yeah. I actually believe in it. I believe in fewer Alders and pay them because I feel like then they have time to be a stronger legislative branch. Right. They voted it down in charter revision, partly, the fewer Alders to give themselves more power because they feel like that's the ultimate democracy where you kind of know you're Alder because we have so many compared mm-hmm. to other cities of similar population. And, you know, part of the argument from elitists like me, I guess, is that you want to have fewer so they have more power and they cannot be bought off for a sidewalk. And the other argument they had was that having more of them gives people more say because they get their individual older whom they get to know and influence and that it should be unpaid because it should be volunteer work. Well, I think that uh, they should at least get reimbursed for what they do and that that reimbursement should go up uh, from time to time there. Um, there are costs that are associated with doing that service, even at the Board of Alders level. Okay, Bob, we got another person holding. Do you want to ask one last question? All right. So, Bob, thank you so much for calling the uh, Mayor Monday and WNHH. Harry, do I go back up on CD3 for this call? Okay. We're talking about high tech here because we usually get our calls on Facebook, and we will also get to the Facebook question. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, so it should be up. So, hello, you're on uh, Mayor Monday. Hello? Uh-oh. Hello? You have a question for Mayor Hart? I, I do, I do. Um, my question is in regard to um, the, the situation in Puerto Rico. Um, I can't help but notice that a lot of those families are relocating here to New Haven. Um, and I don't know if it, it came up in conversation yet, but I, I, I don't know if we've been prepared in order to, you know, kind of take these families in. But is, is the city working on anything to try to potentially uh, address this issue, uh, at least in the sense of making sure that these uh, new uh, newcomers have a place to, you know, to live, uh, you know, clean uh, water, food, things like that. But not only that, but just to make them feel welcome in, in, in a place like New Haven. 
Yes, we've been working on and this. Thank you for your question. If you wouldn't mind um, hanging up and listening to the answer on radio or on the web, thank you for the question. Yes, we've been working on this ever since um, the, the hurricane struck. And uh, we have a committee that works once a week. We've um, assigned two agencies to do the, the outreach work. One is Junta for Progressive Action. The other one is IRIS. And so they are, are both working with families that come in. Our Board of Education has a, a, a way in which it's fast-tracking young people into schools doing the assessments that need to do so that they're placed in the right grades. And we've been working with our federal delegation to get FEMA to assign a person to our area that can provide even help beyond what we can do as a city. And you also have a coordinator at the Board of Ed, Danny Diaz, who's working both with the families fleeing Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, as well as the earthquake in Mexico. Because people forget how what a big feeder of New Haveners Mex a, a few just a few towns in Mexico are mm -hmm. they're sort of the new Amalfi and I would I actually can't pronounce the name of the town and I'm embarrassed about that where we get so many people from Mexico. Well, I think that yes, we're absolutely working, and also from uh, some some of the other islands where people are are coming into our city and into our state. And yes, Danny Diaz is working with them, but we're working with. Everyone that is relocating, large numbers are coming here. I think last count we had 67 students were in from I think it's Puerto over Rico. 100 by now. Wow, yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. Okay, Mayor Hart, we got a follow-up question for, from Tom on uh, Facebook Live. With all due respect, you did not answer Bob's question about the mayor's salary. <laughs> mayor Hart, <laughs> well, why do you think the mayor's office should receive a $10,000 increase now, and why not bring this up before the election? Thank you, Tom, for that question. You know, I tried to bring it up with the budget that we were, were doing, and I was asked by the Board of Alders not to. Um, and as I said before, that both the, um, in my proposal, it would have been a raise for both the Board of Alders as well as the mayor. Um, you have to do it uh, before the end of this year, or it's another two years before it can be considered. It hasn't been considered for 10 years. All right, wasn't that your main argument? I mean, your your human resources person wrote a letter to the Alders saying, "We the mayor here makes a lot less than mayors of comparable cities. So Stanford, right. he makes, I think, 171000 The number your guy gave was actually low. Your number guy gave the rest in the 160s, but it's actually right. 171. They have a population of 130. What are we, about 140? We're about the same. I thought we're we're neck and neck. <laughs> we're still at 130? Why did I think I we think we I think we might be up. At 134 now, but we're not much beyond that. Had we gone down to 120 at one point? I remember yes. we gained 10. Okay. So so part of the argument was that you're, and if you get this $10,000 raise, you still will be earning less than the mayors of Bridgeport, Hartford, and um, and uh, Stamford. So I thought your argument was that ten, every 10 years, you should at least get some raise for a position. Absolutely. Now, the uh, counter argument you got from some people was that that's true, that even though there are raises in the police department, they get paid less than cops in a lot of other cities that should, and I guess you're saying the alders should get the raise too. What about the argument that the mayor should come last? Well, so far the mayor has come last. Uh, and so I, I think it's time to just say, look, consider it. It's a board of aldermen decision. And uh, so it's not really uh, anything I can do. But if I, if I don't ask, if we don't ask, then... Uh, I've made a decision for them. Mm -hmm. And Bob had another question. Thank you, Bob. Um, I'm sorry you were cut off. Is the city going to do something for the Yale football team? Yale beat Harvard. And I guess people don't go to Yale football games anymore, but they did go to this one. Uh, oh, and, that's and a Yale, good idea, Bob. And Yale won its first 
But is New Haven that connected? Well, sh- maybe we were at one point. Yeah, maybe. I don't feel it. I got to tell you. I mean, I don't <laughs> feel that this is New Haven. I don't think Yale cares too much about the uh, football team anymore. I got to be honest. They. Well, I saw a lot of people w- went to the game. Um, I we were trying to figure out a way to get around the game uh, on Saturday. So a lot of people do, and uh, so yeah, I and I think a lot of people in Westville in particular went over to the game, and so it it might be a reasonable thing to do. I'll let me talk to my staff and see if there's something we can do. All right, to thank recognize. You, thank them. you for that question, Bob. Julia Merck writes in, Mayor Harp, if education is so important to you, please don't choose Burks. Okay, then we're getting into it. So there's going to be a new <laughs> superintendent chosen tonight at the Board of Ed. Right. And you and a majority of the Board of Ed support one of the three finalists, Carol Burks. Right. There's also Dr. Pamela Brown and Gary Highsmith. Yeah. We dropped out of contention today. He wasn't going to get it. Um, this has gotten very contentious. There mm-hmm. was a rally yesterday. And it was this whole long process that the way that this has not been done in the past, mm-hmm. where we spent a long time trying to find a new superintendent. And we right. had public forums, we had student forum, we had a community forum for hours that, by the way, my readers were so interested in, we had close to 4,000 people just watch the long Facebook live video. Mm-hmm. We have had over 1,000 people vote on the true vote. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, so there's been a lot of engagement in this. And it's been contentious. I thought the political election season ended uh, November fifteenth, November seventh, with the election. Mm-hmm. I think this has been much more contested. You have a lot of constituent groups. People feel passionately, and there's been a lot of criticism. People say they feel uh, they don't want Burks. You know, you had a lot of the the teacher reform people. You have the people mm-hmm. who like Gary Highsmith because they, he's come up through the system. Any thoughts on that and on Julia's question? Well, you know, I think that that those of us we had a. Um, search committee that uh, was chosen. Of course, there was the second search committee, um, but it functioned, it worked with us. We, we went through all of the candidates that uh, were presented to us, the three, uh, were the result of the search committee's work. And we spent a lot of time uh, interviewing these folks. And, um, you know, between the two, um, when I, I look at who is ready to sort of start the job immediately, who understands our system in Connecticut, you know, not one of the persons that we interviewed when we talked about budget understood the, res- the relationship between the city budget, the state budget, and the federal budget in educating our kids, except for Burks. She was the only person that, that understood that, could talk to it, um, that frankly had worked and done coaching of principals here in New Haven and had um, really had an extraordinary career and an extraordinary story as, as, a, as a human being and had the fire to do the job because I think that you really need to have fire. It has to be a sense of purpose for your life to educate kids. And, and I've got to say that she and Gary Highsmith had that. I didn't really see that in the other person who was very talented, but uh, didn't really have the fire in the belly, didn't really understand uh, Connecticut education and how it works. And I just thought that it would just take too much time to get this person uh, up, to, up to where they needed to be so that they could function. And so that's why I, I thought that Carol Burks was the best candidate for now for New Haven. And um, Tim writes in, um, if you counted the student members of the Board of Ed, 
the majority would actually support Brown. So the student members don't get to vote. The they student, didn't vote for Brown. <laughs> but they the, weren't there. <laughs> but the student vote, the student members have publicly said they want her and not Carol Burks. Well, they didn't say that when we made the decision. Oh. And, you know, like, I think they're being influenced, frankly, by the adults around them. So uh, uh, they had, well, I'm not going to say what they said. Okay. But at any rate, you know, like, that is, is not... Um, it was not what they said, and it was not the guidance that they indicated to us they got from those who elected them. So um, it's real interesting to me that um, now, today, at 1230, um, there's a different story. Wait, what's 1230 today? <laughs> oh, we didn't move our clock yet. Sorry, <laughs> it's 1130. So I want to ask All you right. a, a yeah. larger question about, <laughs> about process. Uh -huh. And this is something you and I have respectfully debated over the years. Right. I think you always end up being right on this question, and yet I come back to it, and I think it's partly because you're female and I'm male. Okay. Ready? Now let me explain what I mean by that. <laughs> You've always said that when you ran for mayor, 2013, you had some event at Bentara, and you had about every alderman who's been elected since 1912 was there to endorse your candidacy. <laughs> and your point that day was being a female is different. I'm gonna be the first female mayor, and I'm gonna have more process. I'm right. listen to more people, it's gonna be more transparent, it's gonna be more process. In general, you would think that I, as a reporter, would say, go, because all we do is beat up politicians for not being transparent, not having a process. That's my big gripe for um, the board, all the majority of the right now. And yet, when I look at this, so what happened here is we had a lot of process, and you didn't control this process until the last month because you did not have majority in the Board of Ed. So there's a whole lot of reasons this process got political and off the rails. But we did have these open forums. It was done very publicly who the finalists were. Before you made the choice, you had these hours-long forums, and in these forums, people were pretty clear they did not want Dr. Burks. Mm -hmm. And I'm separating out meanness and agendas. I think it was actually disgusting that people attacked her for being in a sorority and these conspiracy theories. It's almost like red baiting. Mm -hmm. But in a very legitimate way, people have different ideas about education. And you had this whole process where it got very political and very nasty. So we're talking about this on Pundits on Friday. And I said, you know, Mayor Harp got a mandate. Everyone who had any gripe with her about anything in the world knocked her on the head with it 50 times over in this election. She still got three quarters of the vote. That's a mandate. She can pick the superintendent, whether we agree with it or not. And every two years we can, it's not making every decision into almost like an election gets people to organize a lot of character assassination, a lot of agendas, and it gets messy and it opens a Pandora's box. Whereas if, if the mayor just picked the person and had very good reasons, she just gave reasons that were very thought out and very sincere. And you've been elected by a city that says we want you to be the mayor. So as long as you're transparent about those reasons, does having a process like this turn everything into not democracy but a mess? And then Marquisha Ricks' response was, I think it's great for Carol Burks to come in and hear every, all the mess before she gets here because then she knows what she's coming into. She knows what people don't like about either her, but they don't really know her. They know yeah. how there's a group that feels very strongly about not getting near charter schools. Yeah. They know there's a group that felt very strongly that, that they questioned some of her abilities mm -hmm. and that she's going to have to win them over. So her point, which I thought was very good, was I think very similar to you, and I don't think it's a mistake that you're both female, <laughs> say, no, no, I'm not making that as a joke. You're saying, you know, let's take more time, have it out, and in the end it's all in the open. And then I come back and say, I think that it's great to have her know what she's getting into, but everybody knew that we were a political mess with the Board of Ed. That's why a lot of people dropped out. And then, in fact, I think some of this stuff might not have come out, and she might have had more of a chance to show what she can do first. 
So am I, am I still wrong that, that we don't need to go through such a process drawn out for all these decisions about whom to hire? Well, you know, I think that, I, I do think that it does uncover a lot of um, the mess that we have in the city and the divisions and the differences in the way in which people see things. And, and I guess I would err on the side of Markeisha, and I would say it's probably better to know that up front so that you don't, you know, uh, I would much rather know who my uh, challenges are and, and so that I, I could be prepared to deal with that. And I do respect where you're coming from it. I'm pushing this point because I think it's a very interesting issue about democracy. I think yeah. it first came up in the modern way in the 1992 presidential election when Ross Perot said, I want people at home to vote on every bill electronically. And... Some of us felt like, I mean, I love democracy. I think democracy is so important. I don't think it means everybody voting on everything. I think it means having everything being public so that we really have the knowledge. I think it means elected officials listening to the people, but that we do elect people to sort of spend more time focusing on those decisions. We've told them, we trust them to do it, and sometimes we just want them to do it. And I know in this case you didn't have control of the board, Ed, and even now it's somewhat tenuous until about a month ago. So I know this isn't, 100% 100% applicable to this. But I'm just wondering about where we look at democracy going forward, you know? And, and the thing that, that I, I, I do think it's important to have a public process, but I, I really wish the public would understand that we interviewed everybody. We asked them in-depth questions. They gave us in-depth answers so that we're not making a decision uh, based upon a philosophy that we have. We know who these candidates are. We know what they believe in. We know what they can do. See, and I'm not questioning that. My question was then why did we do that plus these public <laughs> forums where people vote and it's not a scientific vote and then, then people have a harder time accepting the results because then they feel like there's a fix in if their candidate doesn't get it because well, we had campaign style. People bust in to vote and who, who is more popular. No, I know. And I think that one of the, the, the problems that we had as a board of education is that we never sat down and discussed and came to agreement about how, how the public process would operate. And, uh, and, and that was Marquise's other point. She says she likes process, but you got to stick to the process. And because of a whole host of reasons, the process wasn't stuck to, well, it wasn't stuck to, nor was it well-defined. And Anika Singh Lamar, thank you for sending in your question. Asks, what is Dr. Burks's vision for public education in New Haven? You know, one of the things that she absolutely believes in is moving our students forward and getting them to grade level at every single grade, making sure that our young people, when they graduate from our schools, are prepared to go to the next level, where, wherever that is, whether it be college or some sort of trade um, school, that sort of thing. Those are the kinds of things that that she believes in, that she's prepared to do. She believes in restorative practices and that the school system should be a school system for all of our children uh, and uh, address all of their needs. And that was what I got from what it is that she she talked about. And thank you for the question. Anika followed up here with a two-hour info session. We could bring a new superintendent up to speed on how Connecticut funds schools. Shouldn't this be about a pedagogical and value-based vision for our students' education? Well, and we got that. And, you know, the real question, you know, it was so interesting that I've gotten all these emails. Well, and a number of people are really concerned because she, 
she uh, seemed to want to use data so much. In every single one of our interviews with every single candidate, uh, on the person-to-person interviews with the, with the search committee and the Board of Education, they all wanted to use data. And some were more, even more data-driven than Carol Burke was. So it's interesting that she talks about it in public. Others talk to it with us. And uh, the, the people who are against being so data-driven are against Carol Burke when every other one of them, and many of them, including those that they are now uh, supporting, were even more da- data-driven than Carol So maybe Burke it was, was a matter of who was a more successful campaigner. Because this turned into a campaign. That, yeah. But that was my point about the process. So you did your in-depth questions yourself. You got to know them. But then there was a separate process in public that was like a political campaign. And she clearly did. She clearly lost the political campaign. Uh, that, should we have yeah. a political campaign for superintendent of schools? I don't believe that, that we should uh, have a political campaign. But I think we should have a public process that was tighter than the public process that we had. All right. And I think we're going to move on from that question. Thank you. We're on Mayor Monday, unless there's anything else you want to add. No. Okay. <laughs> at 103.5 FM live steamed. And thank you everybody for your question at newhavenindependent.org. State finances. So now the numbers are in, but I have to admit, I've looked at this chart that was in the Connecticut mirror and I'm more confused than I ever was. It looked like here we're getting $5 million less for pilot, but it looked here we made hold on educational cost sharing, but then it looked like there was other education money we weren't getting. There was a final chart that I think met the net money where it showed that we're getting $318,500 less than we got last year from the state in the new budget. Is that accurate or is that not the net number? It doesn't sound right you to know, me. I thought we were $3 million down on net. Our staff, uh, my staff, my budget staff is still looking at it. I talked to them on Friday. And, uh, you know, since the mirror um, story, I think that... The, there's already been a rescission in ECS. so uh, That's been since. That, I'm talking about the mirror had articles weekend after the governor. The governor okay. made new rescissions, and okay. he was limited in what he could cut statutorily. So I, our folks still think that we're down millions. And so what are we going to do about it? Uh, we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going we're gonna to do about it. One of the things that, that we're, um, we're looking at are... Um, we're looking at a number of things. We're going to have to look at at staff and whether or not we can hire any new positions. Uh, I'm going to work really hard to make sure that we don't lay anyone off. Uh, we we may have to ask people to take furlough days if if uh, if we can't figure out another way uh, around this. And I'm hoping not to do that. But as as anyone who sort of understands a budget, the biggest part of the budget really is your personnel. So um, we're going to Try not to hire except in um, our public safety areas. And we're probably going to limit the way that we contract, again, except in public safety areas. And um, and then we're going to look at other kinds of things that we might do to reduce our costs. Our biggest, our biggest unpredictable cost is our medical cost. And so we'll be taking a look at that and seeing if... Are we still in danger of having our credit rating drop? Remember all the concern for all the municipalities in the state because of the state budget mess the rating agencies were warning us? I don't think we're totally out of the woods, to be honest with you, because if... And, and our folks are still not totally sure. We hadn't got gotten, as of Friday, the impact 
on uh, New Haven Public Schools yet. So we don't know for sure uh, whether it's three million, seven million, ten million that were down. So, all right. So we're going to stay tuned on that one. Yeah. The um, last week, Nancy Wyman decided she was not running for governor. With all this bad news at the state, I'm told that the internal polls are showing that. If, if Superman or Superwoman were running as the Democrat against Bozo the Clown, the Republican, Bozo the Clown would kill her. <laughs> that people just, it's not looking good for Democrats. Although I always point out 1991 when all the 18 Democrats did not run for president because of a poll showing the first George Bush so wildly popular they thought he couldn't be beaten. And then Bill Clinton ran and won, but that's a separate question. Any thoughts on the evaporation of the 18 uh, running for governor? I mean, everyone's running for governor who's a Republican because they feel like it's their year. All the Democrats who are on the A-list are not running. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think that there is, uh, again, there's an outside chance. We don't know what will happen in the world between now and the next election. And uh, by the time we select a candidate as Democrats, and it's quite possible that um, something may happen to change the way that people view Democrats between now and then. And a lot's happening fluidly about the reaction to Trump. Yes. And we saw that in Virginia. Are you, I think we can ask this now, the election's over, are you considering a statewide run, a run for state office? You know, I'm working with my town chairman, uh, uh, Vinnie Morrow, and we're looking at making sure that New Haven has some sort of impact on um, the Democratic slate. What does that mean? Do you, <laughs> you want to run for state office? Or? You know, I'm, I'm right now, um, I'm not considering it, but I, it's, I'm going to do whatever's best for New Haven. How about governor? Can we just say whether you'd run for governor? Uh, right now, I'm going to do whatever's best for New Haven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, first 10 bike shares are coming downtown. Yeah. Uh, the first 10 uh, locations coming by the by maybe Christmas. Oh, okay. Great. And uh, 17 rides up from 6 to Hartford every day on the uh, train starting in the spring and 12 to Springfield. Right. What was really surprising was no one complained about this, the state DOT had a, a hearing last week about train service and they're going to charge eight bucks, which is heavily subsidized. No one complained. There were some concerns, but they thought that it should go later than 10.45 p.m., the last train out of Hartford if you want to go to a concert. They felt that um, there should be a, a much easier connection to Windsor Lock Station to the airport. But mm -hmm. overall, people are happy with the DOT, the Department of Transportation, that there's going to be this increased service to Hartford and Springfield. They feel that's going to be a, a, a step up for our region. And, and not only that, I think it will be for the Hartford region as well. It may be that game changer that everyone's been looking for yeah. for Hartford. Another process question, strong school. So last week, the committee that's formed about whether we should sell it to whom mm -hmm. recommended against selling the school to a, a developer who wants to make apartments, micro apartments in the strong school. So this, your administration does not have to follow that process. Do you have your, your development administrator was... So that he's leaning towards starting over again. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that I would support starting over again. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I, and I've said it before, I'm not as interested in micro apartments. I'm a little concerned that they might start a whole series if we start approving them in our city of blight. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that's kind of interesting. So now I want to put my political science hat back on. What does this say about democracy? So the court orders us to have this process where a neighborhood weighs in on a project. Mm -hmm. And some could argue that the democratic process really served its purpose because it revealed some short-sighted, some shortcomings in that proposal we might not have known about. But after years, we've been spending 
up to $80,000 a year to maintain a vacant school that's blight on that neighborhood. A neighbor group wanted to build it, but their project was deemed not having enough financial support or smarts to it. Another guy came in who was very rude to the neighborhood, like how to not influence people, make enemies 101, you know, when he came in. But so we had this democratic process. On the one hand, you could argue it really worked because it showed shortcomings in, and you don't want to rush into doing something wrong. Or you can argue it ended up with nobody getting what they wanted. I mean, we, we end up years later back to square one. Is it sometimes okay to end up at square one so that we make the right decision? Or is it that we need a process that maybe, and here I am talking against what I am as a journalist, do we need to maybe be a little less democratic and just make those decisions sometimes? You know, I think in that case that the public process was very important. Uh, there's a, 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 a real sense in that community that um, they have community-wide needs that could possibly be met by that building. They've just got to have the time, and I think they really didn't have the time to put together something that would work for the overall community. And the fact that they did point out some of the shortcomings of that particular project um, really shows why it's important to have a number of minds looking and eyes looking at uh, a a project in a community. So you're pro-democracy? Right now I am. I think it works for us. (laughs) Our our Facebook is lighting up with questions still about the superintendent. Some Uh people are saying... Two student representatives said that they were in the room all night Wednesday during the straw poll vote. They said they voted for Highsmith first, then Brown after his elimination. And you had said they weren't there. Oh, no, I didn't say they weren't there. I just said that that's not what they they did first. And so they they verified what I said. And, you know, it was my sense, uh, and maybe I miss uh, not remembering it, but um, Highsmith was still on the table, even though it was clear that he didn't have the votes. We went... It was very late, and we went through this very complicated way of figuring out who uh, the, had the fewest votes among us. And uh, so I don't recall that it in that way. So you don't recall them voting first for Highsmith and then Brown? I, uh, uh, I don't remember and the then Brown piece. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think we're going to move on from now. I think we're... Pretty late in the program here. There are a few more things I wanted to ask Mayor Harp here on uh, Mayor Monday and WNHH Radio. Hotel Duncan. Boy, that was interesting. You must have a fun time sitting in your office watching this stuff go by. <laughs> so a group of alders um, who are affiliated with Unite Here mm-hmm. said what you said. We have to get a policy for downtown housing to try to preserve single room occupancy and other kinds of affordable housing because we've lost it downtown. Right. How are we going to do that? And that's been brought into stark relief by the Hotel Duncan, which is really the only case I can think of where actual housing for poor people disappeared to be built into something for wealthier people. And even there, it was a grandfathered SRO from the 1890s. It would not pass code today. And even there, it was 37 people who who um, were found other places to live. That are probably better. Yeah. But still, there is a real issue. Yeah. So they, they put in a proposal that said, let's have a moratorium, six-month moratorium, which is still on the table. Mm-hmm. But it was going to apply to the Hotel Duncan. So the Hotel Duncan's new owner who wants to upscale the place and spend $35 million quickly got the first building permit, which under the understanding of people I've talked to with state law means that this moratorium cannot affect them in retrospect. Is that your understanding, that's, too? That's our understanding. So yes. how do you feel about this proposal? What do you mean? Should we have a six-month moratorium on other kinds of downtown conversions of SROs? There aren't that many, but there, but uh, there'd be like the Y and some of the. Um, 
some yeah. of those coupons. You know, I think it's something we should, it's, it's before the Board of Alders. It should have a public hearing. We should hear, I mean, again, what the public thinks about that. Uh, it's my sense that we need more of them for particularly single individuals. You know, one of the things that we're seeing happen in our cities, we're getting more and more encampments, uh, people who are living outdoors. Winter is upon us. We've got to find a way to house these people. I wonder whether that's a little bit, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but yeah. I'm wondering if it's a little bit apples and oranges. There's no question there's a short of affordable housing. There's no mm-hmm. question that if you work downtown, you really can't live there, and that's an issue you and the alders all agree need to be explored. Right. The encampments don't seem like the same thing because those are people who have chosen, and I'm not criticizing their choice. They don't want to go to a shelter. They don't want to go in the affordable housing program. They might be a couple who want to live together. They might want to do drugs. And they come from other towns often for our methadone program, as you've pointed out. Well, they do that, but some of them don't have alternative places to live. And, you know, I, I think that for individuals... Not the ones that are there as couples in the encampment, because we have that as well. But for individuals, there really isn't a lot of individual housing for people who are not elderly. All right. So that, that's another uh, issue I guess we'll be looking on. You, there's a, a, this fleeting news. You're suing Big Pharma. The yeah. city of New Haven <laughs> is leading a lawsuit against the big pharmaceutical companies that make OxyContin and other opiates. What's that all about? Well, you know, one of the things that we have seen across our state to some extent in our city is a more opioid addiction that doesn't stem necessarily from heroin, but stems from, uh, starts with using uh, prescription drugs. And so it's really a question of marketing practices and whether or not the, these drugs are marketed appropriately and used appropriately. Interesting. So what, so what made you think of leading a lawsuit on this? Well, I just thought it was important that... Um, we begin to grapple with the fact that there are so many people who need drug treatment because they are addicted to opioids. And maybe the companies that profited off that might have led them there, uh, made the money off it, and maybe should pony up to help solve it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, we've solved another big problem here on Mayor <laughs> Monday. We just do it by the half hour. Mayor Hart, thanks so much for coming on. All right, thank you. And thank you very much. Back, well, good luck for a second term. We heard about some of the top priorities, including more connection with the business community, jobs from our New Haven residents, neighborhood sweeps of hot spots, IT improvements are going to help uh, all of government work together better, and bringing 75 to 80 percent of New Haven students up to grade level and academics. Sounds like you got a lot on your plate. Yeah. We've got a lot going, but we've got everybody in New Haven to help us, right? right. (laughs) We're going to pull together. Thank you for joining us today on Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Mayor Tony Harp. Thanks to Birch and Moses PC and Gateway Community College providing some financial support for today's show. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass reminding us all that we do know what it feels like to be free. Any thoughts how we can get there? Well, we can take that flight. All right, we can book our (laughs) flight here and fly free with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.